God is glorious in his saints. Welcome to the Christian Saints Podcast. My name is Professor Darren Ong, recording from Sepang in Malaysia. In this podcast, we explore the lives of the Christian saints from the Anglican, Roman Catholic, and Eastern Orthodox traditions. Today, we celebrate Saint Denis, Bishop of Paris. Denis is the French variant of the Latin Dionysus, or the English Dennis. For this episode, let me just refer to him as Saint Dennis, since I don't want to mess up the French pronunciation. Saint Dennis lived in the 3rd century, very early in the history of the Christian Church. Paris, in Saint Dennis's time, was known as Lutetia, under the Roman Empire. St. Denis was a missionary to the people living in the Paris area and brought many pagans living there to Christ. St. Denis was the Bishop of Lutetia in a time of Roman persecution, and so he was beheaded, one of the early martyrs of the Christian Church. Let us read an account of his life from the English hagiographer, Reverend Alban Butler. The faith is said by some to have been planted in part of Gaul by St. Luke, and especially by St. Crescens, a disciple of St. Paul. The churches of Marseille, Lyon, and Vienne were indebted for the light of the gospel to Asiatic or Grecian preachers, though they had received their mission and orders from the Apostolic See of Rome. For Pope Innocent I positively affirms that no one had established churches in the Gauls, or in Spain, or Africa, but persons who had been ordained bishops by St. Peter and his successors. The history of the martyrs of Lyon and Vienne proves the nourishing state of those churches in the 2nd century. St. Irenaeus very much advanced the faith in Gaul, and left many eminent disciples behind him though two of the most illustrious among them, Caius and St. Hippolytus, left Gaul and displayed their abilities and zeal in Italy and other foreign countries. Nevertheless, the light of the gospel did not spread its beams so early upon the remoter parts of Gaul, as is expressly affirmed by St. Sulpicius Severus, and in the acts of St. Saturnius, St. Germanus of Paris, and seven other French bishops, in a letter to St. Radegondus, say that the faith having been planted in Gaul, in the very birth of Christianity, made its progress slowly, till the Divine Mercy sent thither St. Martin in the year 360. Numerous churches, however, were established before that time, in most parts of the country, by seven bishops sent thither by the Bishop of Rome to preach the gospel. Of all the Roman missionaries sent to Gaul, St. Dionysus carried the faith the furthest into the country, fixing his see at Paris, and by him and his disciples, the sees of Short, 
Senlis, and Mo were erected. And shortly after, those of Cologne and others, which we find in a flourishing condition, and governed by excellent pastors in the 4th century. Witness St. Maternus of Cologne, Saints Fushin and Victoricus, Crispin and Crispinian, Rufinus and Valerius, Lucian of Bouvet, Quintin, Piaton, Regulus, Oritius of Senlis, and Marcellus are called disciples or fellow laborers of St. Dionysus, who came from Rome to preach the name of Christ in Gaul. We are assured in the Acts of the Martyrdom of St. Dionysus that this zealous bishop built a church at Paris and converted great numbers to the faith. A glorious martyrdom crowned his labors for the salvation of souls and the exaltation of the name of Christ. He seems to have suffered in the persecution of Valerian in 272, though some moderns defer his death to the beginning of the reign of Maximian Herculius, resided chiefly in Gaul from the year 286 to 292. Ardo calls the judge by whom he was condemned, Vesenis. The acts of his martyrdom, St. Gregory of Tours, Fortunatus, and the Western materiologists informed us that after a long and cruel imprisonment, he was beheaded for the faith, together with Rusticus, a priest, and Eleutherius, a deacon. The Acts add that the bodies of the martyrs were thrown into the river Seine, but taken up and honorably interred by a Christian lady named Catala, not far from the place where they had been beheaded. The Christians soon after built a chapel over their tomb. In the year 469, to the pious exhortations of Saint Genevieve, a church was raised upon the ruins of this chapel, which was a place of great devotion, much resorted to by pilgrims, as appears from the works of Saint Gregory of Tours, in many places by which it is clear that this church stood without the walls of the city, though very near them. By a donation of Clotaire II, it appears that here was then a religious community governed by an abbot. Dagobert, who died in 638, founded the great abbey in this place in which he was interred, and which has been for many ages the usual burial place of the French kings. Pepin and his son Charlemagne were principal benefactors to this monastery, which was magnificently rebuilt by Abbot Suga. The relics of Saints Dionysus, Rusticus, and Eleutherius are kept here in three silver shrines. The mir miraculous cure of Pope Stephen II in this church has been already related. St. Dionysus of France is commonly called Saint-Denis. A portion of his relics is said to be possessed by the Abbey of St. Amaran at Rustaban. Those apostolic pastors who converted so many nations to Christ were men filled with his spirit, regarded nothing but his glory, and acted and lived for him alone. Christ on earth never entertained any regard but for the glory of his Father, to whom he offered himself and his kingdom. Whoever becomes his minister must in like manner have no aim, no intention, but to advance the divine honor. For this he must be dead to the world, and have bid adieu to it, that is, to all desires of honors, applause, pleasures, riches, 
or any earthly goods whatever. Such a one sees nothing in this world which he hopes or desires, nothing that he much fears. He seeks no composition with it while he is engaged in the cause of his master, no threats or apprehensions of terror from its persecution can damp his courage in defending the honour of God, or cool his zeal for the salvation of souls. We can also read a more detailed account of the martyrdom of St. Denis from another English hagiographer. This is an excerpt about St. Denis from Elfric's Lives of Saints, a 10th century text. Then he provided himself with companions, and he went courageous through the Holy Ghost, preaching to the heathen, Christianity and baptism, until he came to a city called Paris, amidst the heathen in the Franks' kingdom, and the Saviour succored him with signs and wonders, so that he subdued the heathen and very speedily converted the citizens to the faith. Then he bought land of a believing man, and there quickly raised a church by his skill, and consecrated God's servants, that they might serve the heavenly God in monastic life. Then Dionysus daily converted many to the faith by his fair law, and subjected to his lord those whom he snatched from the devil. And men sought the church eagerly with faith, so many wonders wrought the all-wielding God by the holy man that the wonders converted the opposing heathen to the Saviour's faith, quite as much as his preaching as books tell us. He sent some of his companions to Spain and to other lands to sow God's law, and he himself continued fearlessly with the Franks, who especially erred in the devil's worship. Often the idolaters, who were the fiercest, assembled their congregations and stirred up a tumult, and came armed to the venerable man. But as soon as they saw his shining countenance with its heavenly light, then the heathen laid their weapons down, and with wandering prostrated themselves to the holy bishop, entreating forgiveness. Or if any of them would not even then believe, then was he terrified and fled away. Wondrous is God's grace that these savage men could not withstand with weapons to weaponless man. But the Franks and distant Northmen bowed themselves to the winsome yoke of the King of Glory. Then were broken in pieces widely throughout the land the houses and images of the gods of the heathen by the hands of those men who had made and founded them. And God's church waxed exceedingly in the faith. The old devil who is filled with envy took great wrath against the man of God, for the people's conversion from his foul worship, and considered how he might in some manner extinguish the widespread Christianity by his stratagems. Then at last the savage idolaters were stirred with anger, even as the devil incited them, and sent to Domitian, the diabolic emperor, who after Nero oppressed the Christians, making known in letters about the holy man, how through his law the country folk were turned and all the citizens to Christ's worship and prayed him privately that he would find some plan on behalf of his venerable gods that the rather their remembrance might not be put out through Dionysus' teaching. This writing came to the Caesar in Rome 
and he was verily soon stirred up, so that he bade kill all the Christians whom he could hear of in all lands, desiring that no man who was a Christian should be left. He sent also immediately a certain prefect called Ticinius, an exceeding fierce devil, with many companions to the Franks' kingdom, that they should kill Dionysus, God's servant, with weapons, unless he would bow to the shameful gods. Whereupon Sicinius journeyed with a great array until he came to the city wherein was the bishop teaching the lay folk zealously in the faith. Then the cruel prefect bade men bind the holy man, and a masked priest whom he found with him named Rusticus, and a certain archdeacon called Eleutherius, all together with hard knots. These holy men had ever lived with the bishop until they all departed to God together. Then Sicinius immediately asked the holy man, with a great threat, what God he worshipped. Then said they all three as if with one mouth, We confess with mouth and believe in mine in the Holy Trinity, who is heavenly God, that is Father and Son and the Comforting Spirit, and we preach to men the world's redemption, through the Holy Son, whom the Heavenly Father of his own will sent to be slain for us. Then said Sicinius, Say if ye will obey the Caesar, and believe on his gods. If then ye will not, I will no longer by words, but by hard stripes, make known his best to you. Then he bade men strip the holy bishop, and scourge him unmercifully, and he sang his prayers amidst the tortures, glorifying his Lord, who could easily have delivered him from those wicked men. But the saint was, in these short torments, to imitate his Lord, and suffer death for him, even as Christ himself did, who gave himself for us. Afterwards, Sicinius bade scourge the masked priests, and also the deacon, Dionysus' companions, and then commanded them to be led in chains, together to a lightless prison for their fidelity. He bade scourge them again, and afterwards stretched the bishop on an iron bed, and placed burning coals under his naked body as they did to Lawrence. But the saint prayed on that bed to God. Then the savage prefect commanded men to cast him to beasts, which were unhungered, that they might devour the holy men. But the fierce beasts, as soon as they came to him, lay at his feet as if they were affrighted. Then the judge bade men throw the Lord's servant into a burning oven, but his prayers extinguished all the flame, and he was left there sound. Yet the bloodthirsty judge commanded men to make a cross, and bade men hang the bishop ignominiously thereon, and he, so hanging, preached the Saviour to all bystanders, even as Andrew did. Then, after that, the judge commanded men to take him from the cross, and to take them all three to the lightless dungeon, and many other Christians to the house of execution. Whereupon the bishop blithely allured the Christians by teaching in the dungeon to God, and celebrated Mass in presence of them all. Then as he was dividing the holy household, there came a heavenly light over all the multitude, such as they had never before seen. There came likewise the Saviour with a heavenly light, and many angels with him, where they were looking on, and took the household which was there consecrated, and said to the bishop with blithe aspect, My beloved, receive this, 
and I with my Father will for thee fulfill these mysteries with perfection, because with me there is a great reward to thyself. To those who hear thee there is a salvation in my kingdom. Now do valiantly, and thy memory shall remain in men's praise. And as for the love and dignity which dwell in thy breast, and whomsoever they plead, they shall always obtain their boon. And after these words he returned to heaven. Then soon after Sicinius commanded in the morning the saints to be fetched out of the foul dungeon, and ordered them to offer their sacrifices to the lifeless gods, if they wrecked of their life or were reasonable. But the saints continued in the Saviour's faith, and the infuriated judge desired yet again to try, if he might, to turn them from God's worship. He commanded men to scourge them all again severely with rods, and afterward to behead them for the Saviour's faith. Then the heathen led the saints to death, and Dionysus thanked his Lord with praise, all the wonders which he had wrought through him. And they were beheaded, as the savage prefect had ordered, with sharp axes, and there God manifested a very great wonder to the illustrious bishop. For there came a great light to the martyrs' bodies, and the bishop's body arose with that light, and took his own head, which was hewn off upon the hill, and went him forth thence over two miles, while the men were looking on, praising his Lord with holy hymns. And a company of angels also there winsomely sung, until the body came to where it desired to lie, with the head and all, and the holy angels continually sung, as books tell us. Then the heathen, those that heard the song and saw the wonder, cast away their error and believed in Christ, and likewise some of the executioners, and none was left there who would not believe but turned them away, terrified at the wonder. There was such a strange wonder that the righteous martyr could walk headless, praising God Almighty, and moreover run with troops of angels. But God desired to declare through that strange sign that his soul lived, though the body might be slain, and would manifest to men how great faith the holy man had in the Saviour in life. St. Dennis's feast day is on October the 9th, and he is celebrated on that day in all Christian denominations that commemorate saints. He is, of course, an especially important saint in France. Most famously, the Saint-Denis suburb of Paris is named after him. Football fans might recognize this place as the location of the Stade de France, where France's national football team plays. He is the patron saint of the French monarchy, since many French kings had a devotion to him, most notably Dagobert I. The Basilica of Saint-Denis, the church built where Saint Denis was believed to be martyred, also served as the royal tombs of France, the place where most of France's kings were buried. Let us read an excerpt from a journal article titled The Cult of Saint Denis and Capetian Kingship by Gabriel M. Spiegel. This is in the first issue and the first volume of the Journal of Medieval History. This excerpt discusses the devotion that the French people and the French royalty had to Saint Denis. A local cult of the saint soon flourished. The Passio already speaks rather vaguely 
of a church elevated by the faithful, gathered around the primitive tomb of the saint, shortly after his martyrdom, suggesting that a shrine of Saint Denis existed possibly as early as the 4th century. The first clear evidence of a church constructed to serve the needs of a religious community comes from the Vita Genovife, which records the foundation of a basilica by Saint Genevieve sometime around 475. The earliest miracles appear in connection with the building of Genevieve's church, and they refer to the cult of Saint Denis as an established fact. In the 6th century, Gregory of Tours speaks of the custodes, or guardians of the cult, who are attached to a basilica, that is, a church containing relics distinct from an ecclesia, or a place of liturgical assembly. The cult, while still local, was steadily gaining prominence, for Gregory recounts two miracles relating to the saint's capacity for protecting his tomb from attack. At this time, the objects of veneration were the relics of St. Denis alone. The relics of his companions, Rusticus and Eleutherus, were added only in the 7th century, when a special chapel to house them was built. The fame of the saints and the growth of their cult was sufficient by the 7th century to attract larger and larger numbers of pilgrims to an annual celebration of Denis's feast on the 9th of October. The grant of the Fair of St. Denis by Dagobert in 635 or 636, the first royal concession of its kind, testifies to the growth of the cult in Merovingian France and the in increasing homage paid to the saint. The greatest infusion to the treasury of Dionysian miracles resulted from the 9th century work of Hinemar in his Gesta Dagoberti Regis Francorum. Hinemar not only recorded with almost obsessive concern the marks of favour conferred upon the monastery by this benign prince, he elaborated a series of miracles involving saint and monarch that added a significantly new dimension to the legend of Saint Denis. In addition, it was Hinemar who compiled the Miracula Sancti Dionysi, which detailed in one convenient place the saint's miraculous acts beyond those already set forth in the history of Dagobert's reign. The miracles described by Hinemar in the Gesta Dagoberti serve to explain Dagobert's extraordinary devotion to the monastery of Saint-Denis, which subsequently expressed itself in a series of privileges and donations given to the abbey recounted at the end of the Gesta. At the same time, they establish the saint's protective capacity over all those who seek his aids in times of stress. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Christian Saints Podcast. Look for the Christian Saints Podcast page on Facebook or Instagram, or find us on Twitter at podcast underscore saints. All music in this episode was composed by my good friend, James John Marks of Generative Sounds. Please check out his music at generativesoundsjjm.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider giving us a five-star review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use, so more people can find the Christian Saints podcast 
and be blessed by the stories of the saints. Let us end this episode by reading the collect prayer for St. Dennis' feast day on October the 9th. O God, who sent St. Dennis and his companions to preach your glory to the nations and strengthen them for their mission with the virtue of constancy in suffering, grant, we pray, that we may imitate them in disdaining prosperity in this world and in being undaunted by any trial. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Thank you.